Hey, it's me, Sam. This is my podcast, and this is episode 10, maybe? I'm going to have to check on that. But uh, welcome back. Welcome and welcome back. We're recording uh, here in the car today. Have about a 35-minute drive to my next patient's house, so going to put together some information in this episode. Uh, so... First of all, I am, um, I'm, I'm exhausted on a level that I haven't been at in quite a while. My five-month-old has decided that sleep is optional at night. Here, here's the situation. I, I live in an old farmhouse. I think I mentioned that. And um, even if I have the thermostat downstairs set on... 68 65 I mean cold like my unit's about to freeze up cold it'll still be a balmy 80 degrees upstairs um the the my uncle who used to live in my house was telling me something about switching the vent flow and pushing all the air to the upstairs because then it'll fall down to the down well I don't know what the hell he's talking about I don't know anything about any valves or vent flow or anything so who knows what what I should be doing that I'm not doing because all I know is it's hotter and hot upstairs every night so this baby he is a redhead and I think he just naturally runs a little bit hot he usually is sweaty his hair is always greasy and so I've been just putting him in t-shirts like little onesies to sleep in because when I the few times that I've tried to put him in a sleeper when it's been um this you know as hot as it's been upstairs he's kind of flipped out and then like as soon as I undress him he's calms down so I'm putting him in t-shirts well then what happens is through the night it cools off I have my windows open I have the air running at night so it does cool off a little bit and then he I think what happens is that he's getting cold so he wakes up for that and then I also think that despite the fact that I want to drag it out and not start having to feed him um, or have him start food I think that he's hungry and so or I don't know though because like this morning when he finally you know after he woke up on an off all night when he woke up in the morning it's not like he was screaming crying I mean once we even like he didn't cry before we left he didn't cry on the way to the sitter you know he definitely wanted his bottle by the time we got there but I don't know. Babies are so confusing. It's like you finally think you have them figured out. You got them in a good routine. And then... Nope. Now they're waking up every two hours. (laughs) So, the thing that's so interesting is that... Like, when I... um, You know, when I first got him and his sister... They were preemies, and so they were required to be woke up every three hours to eat, regardless of if they woke up on their own or not. And so you kind of, you know, you're, it's just crazy how your body gets used to, um, your body gets used to what whatever you ha- you're doing. So during that period of time, I mean, I would be tired, but it's like my body was used to waking up every three hours and, and getting that limited amount of sleep. And then at when he was 12 weeks yeah, like right around three months, he started sleeping all the way through the night. And so I got used to sleeping all night. And now it's just crazy, like 
how much more tired, how much, how tired I am because I'm not used to waking up through the night with him. So he's got to figure it out. I told him this morning and we were in a fight. I said, dude, we're in a fight until you start sleeping again because I'm so tired. It's like this tired of like, I could, if I could get a hold of it, that's how heavy it is. Like I feel it. I feel it on my eyelids. I feel it in my head. I feel it in my body. And so, and do you think that I like go to bed early or try? No, I don't. This is a constant battle that I think moms have is this battle of, I'm so tired. All I can think about is going to bed, but I also just crave time alone and time to get things done. It's not like I sat around watching TV last night. I mean, I washed dishes and I folded two loads of laundry. So by the time I actually did sit down to watch any TV, I, um, it was like 1145. (laughs) So, and this is the other thing though, is that, you know, when school's in, my kids usually go to bed between like 8.30 and 9, 9.30 at the latest, but usually between 8.30 and 9. So a lot of, like most nights, I'm downstairs like ready to start my work or sit around or whatever by like 9 o'clock, 9.15. But now that yesterday was the last day of school, yay. <laughs> so now that they're out of school, you know, I let them stay up and also I don't feel... I don't feel inclined necessarily to rush to bed. The babies pretty well fall apart, so they end up going to bed pretty much at the same time. But I don't feel inclined to really rush them to bed. So, like, last night, I mean, by the time they got to bed and I got back downstairs and started doing what I needed to do, I mean, I know it was at least after 10 o'clock. So, it's just kind of crazy. You know, you don't think about, like, having less time in the evenings. And so then once I do a little bit of work, have a bowl of cereal, which I shouldn't have had, um, you know, then it's like I'm doing laundry and I'm, and I'm washing dishes and then it's almost midnight. So I do a lot in the evenings after the kids go to bed. That's one thing that I don't know. Like I said, one of these days I'll do like just a full, maybe a full rundown on some details of my second marriage, but that's one thing that, um, my second husband and I, like, he really had an issue with, and I'm, I guess I'm just interested to hear how other people handle this, and I've never really talked to anybody about it, but, you know, when my kids go to bed, I feel like that's, like, prime time to be able to pick up, clean up, do dishes, like, I don't want to be doing those things when they're up, like, I want to be spending time with them, I want to be, um, you know, I want to be outside with them. I want to be at their activities. It used to make me so frustrated when I was growing up that we would eat dinner and then it was like right away, as soon as dinner was over, we're cleaning up and then it's time to go to, and then it's like time to get ready for bed and go to, so it's like, we didn't even really get to spend any time together. We just ate and then washed dishes and cleaned the kitchen and then went to bed. I hated that. Like, I hate having to jump right up and clean as soon as you're done eating. So, I don't do it. I mean, there's dishes that'll sit on my counter conservatively for, I mean, days. Like, I don't... It's just not a big priority for me. Like, I don't want to be filthy, but, like, if my kids want to play outside or, um, 
you know, they want to spend time together or play a game or something, like, that's definitely a bigger priority for me. So, a lot of times, every night, every day, when they go to bed, I jump in and, like, do dishes or fold laundry. Not every, not every night, but at least, I would say at least every night, I at least pick up, clean up the living room, clean up the kitchen, things like that. Um, and that was one thing that, with my second husband, that he would, he wouldn't. Like, he, he told me at one point that if something had to be done, every time. You have an income. Every time that I do this, I get a call. I get no phone calls all day, except for when I turn on this podcast. (laughs) But, he told me that if something had to be done after 8 p.m., that he wasn't going to have anything to do with it. So, that was something that created a, a lot of just tension on my part and on his part because he felt like I worked all day it's the end of the day the kids are in bed now this is the time that I sit down drink beer and watch tv until I go to bed I felt like on my end I worked all day as well I also took care of the kids all evening they're in bed now this is the time of the day that I clean up and get ready for the next day and then you know and then eventually I will be sitting down and and doing whatever which a lot of times on top of doing the cleaning I would be sitting down after cleaning or sometimes before depending on how much charting I had to do and I'd be doing work so that was something that you know he had there was a lot of tension every evening around that issue because in his mind, like, I should be giving him all of my attention and all of my, like, I should shut my day off, basically, and that was my time to spend with him. Um, in my mind, like, we could spend time together, but why not? We could spend it together, like, getting the kitchen cleaned up or getting the, like, I'm not one to just sit and watch TV. I don't really, I rarely do that. I might watch like a series on Netflix or something here and there, but it could take me four different settings to get through an entire movie. Like I just don't do it. And that's what all he wanted to do. So I guess, you know, there was a lot of arguments. There was a lot of like, you don't do anything all day until after the kids go to bed. It's a mad rush for you to do things because you've waited all day not to do it, which was not the case, but I just, a lot of hurtful things that were said. Um, so I, so here's the, here's the, here's the advice. I have this, co- I have this, um, friends of mine that are a couple and they essentially did something that I think is brilliant. I mean, they've had their issues, but when it comes to this, I think it's really super smart what they did from essentially day one of their marriage. They sat down and they said like, these are the things as far as household duties that I hate doing. These are the things that I'm okay with doing. These are the things that I'd rather never do or that I would rather always do. And so between the two of them, they basically came up with a list of like, for example, she, you know, does the majority of the cooking and she likes to do that. And it's something that she enjoys, but she hates doing the dishwasher and cleaning up and doing dishes. And that's something that he's okay with doing. So, I mean, they've been married for over 10 years now, and that is something that is still consistent in their marriage is that she cooks dinner every night, you know, or every ish night, and, you know, he cleans up and does the dishes and loads and unloads the dishwasher, blah, blah, blah. Like, honestly, I've been over there 
in the evenings with her when he's out of town or he's not there and she hardly like she struggles she doesn't even know how to unload the dishwasher which is no fault to her I mean she's a she's brilliant but it's because he's always done it and that's just been their routine and that's just I just think when you set forth really super clear super um just like really pointed expectations and really pointed responsibilities that it just takes away a lot of the anxiety and tension and just angst that can build up because if if in, if in your mind like why does it why don't why am I always the one that has to do this well if you know I'm always the one who does this because he's always the one who does this this and this then I think that that makes it takes away that feeling of things being unfair I think it takes away the feeling of it it just produces a lot of security to to know that like god I'm really making a mess in the kitchen but I know that you know he's going to step in and he's going to help you know he's going to work on getting it cleaned up when we're done eating and so I can enjoy that I can enjoy this meal I don't have to be stressed out about the cleanup and I can enjoy my family after the meal and whatever I mean nothing to say that like there isn't some flexibility with that or that you know maybe you step in and help him or he steps in and helps you with dinner or whatever it is but I just really admire um, those friends of mine because I think that it's just created a really um, structured environment which the more structure the more clear expectations more clear-cut expectations that you can set up in a marriage just on stupid stuff like that um the the better off you're going to be because what what happens is that I think a lot of so many arguments end up coming about because of really stupid things just like you know my myself and my second husband like if I feel like if he and I had um you know, come up with some type of a plan of, you know, I'm always going to put the kids to bed. I'm always going to give them a bath. I'm always going to put them to bed. And then you're, while I'm doing that, you're going to pick up the house or do the clean up the kitchen, whatever it is. Like if we would have come up with some type of a plan like that, then that would have freed me up after I got the kids to bed to be able to spend more time with him. But I would have, and I would have felt you know, I would have felt like okay to do that because the house would have been picked up because he would have done it while I was putting the kids to bed. Unfortunately, you know, I was working with a, and, and married to a man who wasn't really willing to do anything like that. He wasn't really willing to have those types of conversations or to compromise in any way. He had really super rigid uh, mentality about um, male and female gender roles and expectations and things. So, yeah, I would just say, you know, they talk about like coming up with a plan for, um, for finances. And if you're, if you're going to have kids or, if you're, you know, you know, figure out who's going to take the trash out. Like, don't just assume that your husband is going to take out the trash. Cause I made that mistake as well. I made the mistake of, Assuming that he was going to be the one who took the trash out and he was going to be the one who took the trash to the road, I think was a fair assumption because he has a truck. We live kind of far back a driveway. And even though I'm fairly strong, it is kind of hard to load up 
the trash cans, you know, into the back of the truck. And it's his truck, so I, not, I never drove it. I think that was a fair assumption on my part. But, um, you know, that wasn't something that he felt like he had to do or that he needed to do. You know, I also assumed that he would keep up with the maintenance of our vehicles. And that also was not something that he felt like he needed to do or felt responsible to do. So I think, you know, whether he was right or wrong, you know, I don't know. But I think what it, what it, what would have been better is if he and I would have had some of those discussions from, from before we were even married about these are some of the things that we're going to set in place that are going to help to... Um, you know, just help to eliminate some of that tension that comes when expectations aren't met. Like, I just remember so many times, you know, giving the kids baths, getting them ready for bed. You know, I'd already cooked dinner. I'd helped with homework. I'd done whatever else activities we had going on. And then coming downstairs and, like, I'm trying to pick up and clean up and everything else. And then he's making comments that I'm, that I'm not spending time with him. And it's like, that when you're in a situation when you're married and you feel like your spouse is basically just another child that you have to give your time to or another child that needs something from you especially as a mother I think that when your spouse whether that's the way they're acting or not but when you perceive that they're just another person that needs something from you it just made me completely want to shut him off because I at that point in the day I had been needed a lot (laughs) by my kids and so the last thing that I needed was for him to be no I understand that you need your spouse I'm not that's not the issue my thing is just like being whiny being passive aggressive about it making comments that just made me feel like let me run as far away as possible because I don't want to deal with this um versus you know being supportive being helpful um working together things like that so you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, when I talk about my marriage with him, I don't want to dog him. Um, he's got his mistakes and issues and I've definitely got mine too. But I just think, you know, kind of like my first marriage, what you have to know is, um, you just have to know that you just have to <clears throat> really focus on the reality and on the facts of the situation before you marry someone. And I think there are, like, if he would have said to me, if we would have, if I would have made the effort to have that conversation before we'd gotten married and he would have said to me, um, you know, I'm not doing anything after 8 p.m., I probably would have been like, okay, this prob- this maybe is going to, you know, be an issue considering we have children. I mean, just the, last night, we didn't even get home. We didn't even get done with soccer games until after 8 o'clock. So, I mean, we weren't even home until you know after eight and well really it was later than that because we stopped at a friend's house but even if we had just gotten done and went straight home it was after eight o'clock so it's just not it's just a kind of an ignorant thing to have that timeline of I've worked I'm home I'm checked out for the day you know when it comes to raising raising men and you know if any men are listening to this You know, I don't think anybody's doubting the fact that men and women both work hard. You know, I work hard during the day most days. Some days I don't. You know, I work hard and um, I don't think anybody's questioning that. But what you have to know and what you have to understand is that 
when you clock out at the end of the day, if you have a wife and children, you're not done. Like your day's not over. Even when they go to bed, your day's not over. And just because you have a job that doesn't exclude you from also completing your job at home. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's a special shout out to any men listening. <laughs> Get your crap together. I'm just kidding. I'm sure, I think my brother's the only one who listens to this, and I'm pretty sure that he, he's pretty, uh, engaged as much as he can be with his kids when he is home, so, anyway. Had a couple other topics that I was going to touch on today, um, I guess one thing I wanted to mention too is that, like I said, it's my kids' last days of school yesterday, and on Monday, I went with my 11-year-old on his sixth grade field trip to COSI, which is like a museum up in Columbus. And, uh, my group, you know, each chaperone was, was assigned like five or six kids to kind of keep up with. And my group was really good. They were very respectful. I never had any issues with them not listening or running off or doing anything wild and crazy. They were, they were really good. They stayed together for the most part. I didn't have any problem. Well, then I get back in the car with this other mom that I rode up there with. Thank God she volunteered, like I was willing to let me ride with her because I was really thinking I was going to have to end up riding on the bus. But um, an hour and a half on a school bus full of smelly sixth graders. Back, like that's a one way, hour and a half, one way, an hour and a half back. It's crazy. But anyway. <laughs> So when we get back in her vehicle and we're heading back, she starts talking about how there's a child in her group who is basically like hell on wheels. Just like aggressive, asking for money, asking for her to buy her things, getting really upset when she wouldn't buy her things, getting really upset when this woman showed any attention to her stepdaughter who she was there with. And I'm just like what is going on with these kids? Because she is this, this child, I, you know, I don't know what her whole deal is. I don't know what her home situation is, you know, anything, but she isn't the first child, you know, in her, in my son's age group and even younger that I've interacted with either at the school or at my church that just has no concept of social, like what's socially acceptable. Like, no, it's not socially you know, right or acceptable for you to tell an adult that they have to give you money um, or to tell an adult that you know that they have money in their purse so they have, they need to give it to you. I mean, these are some of this kind of, some of the things this girl was saying. So even my daughter last night, my six-year-old, she wanted to go to her little friend's house after a t-ball game. And she says, I'm going to ask Greta if I can go to her house. And I'm like, you know what? No, like you, you don't invite yourself to someone's home. If she wants you to come over, you two can talk about it and then she can invite you over. So I think that's something that I've been thinking about these past few days is just like, what are we, are we teaching our kids about things that are like socially, like taboo or, or socially acceptable or not? I mean, can we, we got to work on it because I'm sure my fr a friend of mine yesterday, he went and uh, 
and did field day. His son's in first grade, so I think he was probably, you know, primarily with the first graders. And, you know, field day is like all outside games and sports stuff and everything. And he said, uh, after being out there for three hours with these kids, I I don't feel like there's any hope for humanity or any hope for our future. <laughs> I'm like, that's so sad. But it's kind of true. Like, parents... We have got to be more actively engaged in teaching our children how not to be assholes. It's getting bad. These kids are mean. They're nasty. They're aggressive. They're disrespectful, like, to the max. Um, you know, I talked about kids in my church. When I teach, I teach on Wednesday nights for a half an hour. Like, it's not anything too exhaustive. And... Um, I literally will have like a sore throat at the end of it most nights because I have to yell and I'm talking like less than 50 kids, like maybe 20 at the 25, 30 at the max, but usually even less than that. But I mean, I'm having to yell at essentially the top of my lungs just to be able to speak to these children and get the lesson through and and get the information to them because they will not stop talking. Like the whole idea of when an adult's talking, oh god, hold on. Anyway, <clears throat> so what I was saying was, and I'm saying this to myself too because uh, I mean, absolutely, I'm saying this to myself because I think it just is something that I have to be reminded of and like when my parenting, I have to be um I have to be really intentional about it because I think we, at least I do, find myself parenting from a um, stance of guilt and of wanting to make sure that my kids have a better childhood than what I did, make sure that my kids have a memorable childhood, make sure that my kids feel like that they were important and that they, um, you know, that they had everything that they wanted and needed and but I think what happens and what I found with my kids is that they just start being real jerks when you, when you kind of approach parenting from like this mentality of, let me make sure that they're happy and that they have everything that they want. They just start becoming real jerks. And thankfully, I mean, I kind of can pick up on it and I, I feel like I shut it down pretty quickly. But when I heard about like that other mom was telling me about this girl who just had no like eventually this mom friend of mine ended up kind of shutting her down or trying to shut her down and just tell her like look that's enough like I'm not giving you any more money like I've got to pay bills you're that's done this little girl did not back down like just continued to be super aggressive super intrusive like wanted her phone was taking pictures of her I mean just some real um inappropriate behavior that at that age especially it uh, for the living God. Just to prove my point that I get no phone calls until I start recording this thing. That was literally the two of the only that I've not gotten any calls all day and just got two back to back. But anyway, um yeah, so parents, just clue in. I mean, don't let your kids be jerks now because when they, what that means is that they're gonna grow up and be jerks as adults. 
and then someday they're going to be uh, jerks that we're going to be looking to, to we're going to be looking to them to take care of us. And guess what? If they're jerks and all they care about is themselves and their own happiness and well-being, do you think that they're going to be taking care of us? Uh, no. So that was just kind of a. Uh, I was just shocked, honestly. I was like, I just can't believe that kids talk that way to adults. There's a, my son's on a soccer team and there's a kid on the soccer team who I guess rolled into practice late one day and the coach was like, now this is all coming from Charlie. So, I mean, I'm assuming that my son, this is coming from my 11 year old. I'm assuming that this story is fairly accurate, but you know, keep that in mind. It's coming from an 11 year old. <clears throat> but what he tells me is that this kid rolls into practice kind of late, a little bit late, and the coach is just like real chill, like, hey man, you know, what's going on? Where you been? You're late. This kid looks at this adult, grow. this isn't like a high schooler helping out or like a intern coach, no, this is an adult professional coach, looks at him and says, I don't answer to you, I don't have to tell you where I've been. Are you kidding me? I just can't with kids. Like, I cannot believe that there are kids who go around talking to adults like that. Um, I had a kid, you know, in my, um, in my church, at my church, in one of the groups that I teach, who was just kind of being obnoxious, like hitting on one of the, uh, some of the girls. And I don't really give a lot of attention to it. I just kind of move them and, and tell them to come sit by me, which is like the ultimate punishment. So I had him come sit by me and I looked at him and I said, look, dude, don't, don't be hitting people. And his response to me was, you're not my mom. <laughs> and my response to him was, thank God. You know, are you kidding me? I know I'm not your mom. What are you talking about? And why are you talking crazy to me like that? So, you know, hopefully I've got some uh, listeners here who are fantastic parents and, and aren't raising kids. They're going to be little assholes. You know, kids can be that way just naturally. Like their kids are just, the, the, what do they call it? They're, um, they're just naturally little sinners, just naturally very consumed with themselves, regardless of parenting. But what we have to do, parents, is just step up to the plate and even if it makes our kids mad, even if it, it makes them cry and stomp and throw tantrums, we have to put boundaries in place, be, you know, direct with them about just socially how to act, you know, how to be, how to, how to maintain some level of integrity and character and, and just respect for adults and, in the, in just the public in general. So that's a, that's a little public service announcement there. A little encouragement to myself, encouragement to y'all. Um, I've got a few more minutes here. I just wanted to mention, this will be my my wrap-up, and it's going to be really brief as far as my wrap-up to my foster care series. We're coming to the end of May, Foster Care Awareness Month. And um, my church, I'm really excited. My church is actually having a um, foster care orientation meeting next week. We have some families in our church that are signed up to come and learn some more information, so I'm really pumped up about that. But... 
So the one thing I wanted to just mention is like, what are some common questions that I've gotten and how I've handled those? And then emotionally, you know, how I've um, worked on kind of protecting myself and, and just kind of, you know, keeping myself kind of at a stable point with the, with the whole foster care system. But so basically from day one and every day in between then, I have gotten questions, um, some form of the, of the other of, are you going to keep them? Are you going to adopt them? How long are you going to have them? When are they going to go back? What, you know, what, what are you going to do if they do go back? What, you know, how long until they go back? You know, all, all of those like timeline style questions. I have consistently gotten those, like I said, from day one, all the way through even to, you know, I'm get, I've gotten those questions within the past couple of days. So my standard response is, you know, basically like I'll have them for as long as I can have them, you know, or hopefully, you know, if I get to adopt them, that'd be great, you know, because what I, what I think people don't understand is, and what you have to know if you, if you pursue foster care is that there's no way to know from one day to the next on how long these children will be in your care. I mean, I could say with pretty good certainty that I'm on my way to adopting my one-year-old and it's likely that she's going to be with me forever. But at any point, if a family member or someone steps forward, they would have to pursue that person for placement, even though she's pushing two years old. So, um, you know, that's something that, that I don't think a lot of people realize, but that I've just, I've just said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I don't know how long it'll be, but for as long as I can, you know, for as long as I get to love them, that's, that's great. That's all that I care about for every day. I'm thankful for every day. Um, and hopefully it's forever, but if it's not, you know, then I have to know that that's God's plan. So, when it comes to questions about, am I going to adopt them? Am I going to keep them? I just usually say things like, if I get to, that's great. I'm hoping to, I'm available to, I'm hoping I can. But it, you know, again, what it, what I know and what I try to communicate is that it's all in God's timing. It's in God's plan. And I'm not going to be one to question that. I'm not going to be one to force it. I'm just available for whatever happens and, you know, however it plays out. So that's those questions. Um, I get a lot of comments. This is my favorite one because it's so cheesy and it's, <laughs> it's not something I would naturally ever say, but I just do it to make people feel uncomfortable. I get a lot of people that say things, say, will say like, oh, your hands sure are full. You got, your hands are full. You got a full blah, blah, blah. You're full. And so what I say, like I said, which is just so cheesy. It isn't something I would ever naturally say. But what I always say is better full than empty. And it is, I wish I had a camera every time that I said it because it is so funny. The people's response because it's like, why would you? Yeah, of course my hands are full. I'm thankful. I'm glad. Like I'd rather have you know, this family than, than not. So why would you say that? Like, that's a bad thing. Like my hands are full. Yeah, of course they are. And I'm glad for that. And I, it's better this way than them be empty. So it's just funny people's reaction when I say that. So, um, the other questions I get a lot are what happened? What happened to their mom? What happened that they're in foster care? 
why, you know, what's, what's going on with her? Where did she go? Blah, blah, blah. Where's the parents? Blah, blah, blah. And so what I kind of said from day one, and just to kind of keep it consistent so that I don't, you know, end up maybe oversharing or I share more with one person than I do the other. Mm -hmm. And then it, Mm -hmm. you know, just naturally in in the church and um, just, just as it goes, there's a lot of gossip and and things being said. And so what I kind of made the decision um, about from day one was I just don't tell anything. I don't give any information. I don't answer those questions. I don't entertain them. I just say, you know, I'm not really sure. I just know they're in foster care, you know, or I'm not really sure what's going on. I don't really know any details. And I just kind of shut those questions down because what it, all that it is is just gossip. Like, what does that even matter? What does it matter what happened? What does it matter if they're dead? What does it matter if they're alive? What does it matter if they're mentally ill or they're drug dealers? What does it really matter? It doesn't. It makes no, it has no bearing on how that person uh, interacts with me or interacts with this foster child. So why do they need to know those details? They don't. Um, And so I just have shut those questions down. I haven't really entertained them. I haven't answered them. And I just want, I just feel like, don't feel like you have to. I mean, don't, people don't need to know the details of why, why a child is in foster care. And like in my situation, like I said, I'm likely going to adopt these two children and I don't necessarily want those details to follow them the rest of their lives. So I would rather that our circle of friends and, and people that we interact with not know those details of their, the start of their life and of their biological family. So that's that. Um, and then as far as just protecting myself and, um, just being, you know, cognizant of my emotional state, I guess. The one thing, I found this quote, and I'm going to mess it up, obviously, of course I am, but it essentially said, like, help me to love them for as long as I have them, and then help me to continue to love them, even if they're gone, Um, and help me to continue to, you know, basically pray for them and to trust God, even if they leave. And that's, I saw that quote kind of the beginning within a couple of months of my daughter coming. And I thought that is really a perfect mentality to have because, um, it's like I said, it's just impossible to know how things are going to play out. It's impossible to know. And obviously these are children. I have absolutely attached and bonded to these children just as much, um, as I did my biological children. I've never treated them any differently. I have, um, you know, absolutely, connected with them. And I I feel like, I hope so, I hope I would, but I feel like I would have done that even if I wasn't as confident about them staying with me. So, and I think that, that kids deserve that. They deserve to have that level of bonding and attachment, even if it means that it's going to break your heart when they leave. Because the thing is, is that you're, you might be sad and you're probably going to be sad and you're probably going to feel that loss and grief. But But just to know that you're feeling that little bit of loss, you're feeling that that grief for a period of time because you invested in a child's life and you provided a child with a safe and loving home for whatever period of time you did. So to me, it's worth it. Like the sacrifice of your, you know, your grief and your sadness. And people, that's one thing people say, I can never do it. I'd get too attached. I can never do it. I get too attached. I hope you would. If you don't get too attached, you're not doing it right. You have to get too attached because that's what these kids deserve. 
So you know what? And it's not about, as far as I'm concerned, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about the, it's not about us, uh, us adults. It's about these kids. They deserve the attachment. And if that means that, you know, it's sad and it's heartbreaking for, for a while if they leave, then, then so be it. But the kids, you know, that a child, for a child to have a memory or a feeling of feeling loved and feeling bonded and attached to for a period of time, I believe is 100% worth, you know, me having a broken heart or me, me feeling that grief. So that's that. I'm pretty hardcore about that. I definitely like, that's kind of one of the things that people say that kind of grates me because it just feels very selfish. And I, and you know what, that's okay. Like if that's your mentality or that's your approach, probably shouldn't pursue foster care. Or, you know, if, if you do still feel like that that's something you may want to pursue, just pray, pray and ask God to change your approach and your mentality and to understand that, you know, taking care of these children, these orphan children is not necessarily about fulfilling something in your heart. It's about fulfilling something in theirs and about giving to them. So that's that. I didn't mean to come across so uh, (laughs) aggressive there, but I'm a little passionate about that issue. So here we are 40 minutes in. I'm wrapping this up because I'm going to go do some work. But um, that's about it for this episode. And I will talk to y'all later. All right. Have a great day. Bye.